Welcome to this Family and Community Strengthening Forum. I'm your host, Richard Urban. Come on up, Stace. And uh, Stacey's our lovely co-host. And I'll be also giving the like premise for this forum today. So we'll get uh, started. So the premise is, and this is something that, you know, I'm hoping or asked all the speakers to, you know, include at least uh, in some aspect, to break the generational cycle of outside of wedlock birth, we need a revolution of abstinence-centered education. Parents should present the expectation of sexual abstinence before marriage to their children, regardless of whether or not they abstain themselves. They should think about what is best for their children's future and speak honestly about their own situation. School and community-based programs, such as urban life training, can back up parents in making this revolution. In one generation, this can break the cycle of outside of wedlock births and all of the related personal and societal consequences. So uh, I'd like to welcome up uh, Jamal Johnson as our next speaker. I got a couple of videos. Okay, I'd like to start by um, saying that the, I guess the matrix for this conversation is gonna be borrowed from something that I learned well, my, my, my primary teacher for understanding the world um, has been Christ, okay? Um, Jesus led me to Reverend Moon and a lot of my answers about why the world is the way that it is, or why people treat each other the way they do came from Jesus. But according to Reverend Moon's mission about um, the family, uh, I, I was able to get some answers about God's, the central role of the family and the, the, the issue of, um, you know, our basic psychology being shaped by things that are happening in, in the family here on earth. As I studied this, um, I was able to uh, create through uh, studying and, and guidance, uh, a cohesive understanding of everything that's going on in politics, uh, psychology, and um, even media. Um, and I see it all now as the same thing, the, se the struggle over the same issue, and that is the narrative about the relationships between man and woman, sex, parent and child. Um, I could say that uh, if you would want to understand the way that I see the world, I basically see that the dividing line of the heaven and hell is the way we conduct and talk about and practice our sex lives. You know, our, our lives is sexual beings, which extends to uh, male-female uh, pair bonding and then the subsequent parent-child relationship that comes naturally from that. Um, so it's this first video uh, that I'm going to show is uh, something that came out today, and I, I want to show it, and then I want to ask you guys everyone in attendance, uh, what you think about this segment of this video from Mark Dice. I, 
I have another video from earlier this year that is more central. So this is sort of like a outer expression of a of an inner issue uh, that we that I feel that we're dealing with, and I would like to put it on the radar. And um, I'll, I'll explain more about what that is, but this is more like an example of something internal that we're dealing with. All right, here we go. Five years. Also over the weekend, Disney's new animated feature film, Strange Worlds, which cost $180 million to produce, took in only $24 million, making it one of their biggest failures at the box office ever. Now, I wonder why that would be. They wouldn't be catering to 1% or 2% of the population at the expense of everyone else, would they? <laughs> oh, wait, what's this? New Disney film, Strange World, teaches kids that being gay is normal. Sorry about that. My t-shirt it sucks. Put it back on and get on the table. Patrick Bet David, who runs the Valuetainment YouTube channel, which is a fantastic channel, by the way. He's asked me to come on his podcast. I just didn't want to fly all the way to Florida just to do the interview. So maybe in 2024, I'll go and not next year, 2024. I was playing way too far ahead. I'll go do the whole podcast circuit. Tim Pools asked me to come on his show, which I would like to do, but I'm just too busy to be flying all over the country to be doing these interviews. So maybe in the run up to the next presidential election. But Patrick Bet David says that he took his kids to the movies today to watch the Disney cartoon called Strange World. Within 10 minutes of the movie, his 10-year-old son said, Dad, I have no desire to watch this movie. Can we leave? And they left. Now, he didn't say why, probably because he doesn't want to get canceled by the gay mafia, but he probably should have just to give other parents a heads up about what kind of content this is. But as you know, you're not allowed to admit that you're disgusted by certain things that the Marxists insist on shoving in everybody's face these days. So he just added, the leaders at Disney have forgotten who the paying customer is. But despite this being Disney's first animated feature movie in a theater with a gay lead, liberals are upset about it because nothing makes them happy. And they're complaining that the marketing budget is too small and that not enough people have heard about the movie. And it appears that this queer propaganda is being used more covertly than in previous cases because they're not exactly marketing this movie as their first big gay leading character because they want to dupe parents into bringing their children to see it so that they can be covertly indoctrinated by it. And you may have seen from the leaked Disney Zoom meetings that one of their senior executives said that the plan for the company was to make half of the characters queer or minority by the end of the year. And what a surprise, Disney's stock is down 41% from its all-time high. Get woke, go broke. And they fired the CEO, Bob Chapek. But it's not because he made the company too woke. He didn't make it woke enough. He gave an almost tearful apology and was denounced by the entire liberal media industrial complex for not speaking out against Ron DeSantis's anti-groomer bill sooner. He stayed quiet too long and was even criticized by the now new CEO because he just didn't stand up for the LGBTQ ABCDFG people sooner. By now, I hope you've all read my most recent note in which I pledged to be a better ally for the LGBTQ plus community. Apologize for not being the ally that you needed me to be. I know that we've got work to do, and that work starts with listening. I've read many emails that have been sent, spoken with LGBTQ plus employees and their allies, 
met with advocacy groups and convened my own leadership team. And I have been taken by the honesty, the openness and the urgency of their stories. I want you to know that your words have made a real impact on me. And if Elon Musk keeps his promise of reinstating virtually all previous banned Twitter accounts, which is what he said he's going to start doing this week, the astronauts on the space station are going to be able to hear the lunatics in the liberal media crying. Yes, we saw it. We heard it. Okay. You saw and heard. Okay. Yes. First question. Generally, what did you think about that? Just your thoughts. I'd like to hear from Okay, well, the other, there's a couple of other people here, so mm -hmm. they can, um, they can, sorry, my microphone's twisted around. Yeah, they can speak for themselves, but um, personally, yeah, I mean, that is right. It's, all this stuff is crazy, trying to jam it down our kids' throats, and mm -hmm. of course it's going to fail. Of course people don't want that. That mm -hmm. is 98% of the people. Mm -hmm. That's my opinion. Hi, Jamal. My name's Teresa. Can you hey, hear me? Teresa. Yes. Okay. This is nauseating and delusional mm -hmm. at, at, at the very core. There's mm -hmm. no such thing. And, and I, I, I have visions of Walt Disney turning in the grave and mm -hmm. what the hell is happening to his mm -hmm. uh, the, 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 the lifelong investment that he made in, in, in creating a family um, uh, Disney world. In mm -hmm. and, and to have this, this is really satanic. And mm -hmm. I'll just I'll just stop there. There's no way that this is going to go anywhere. And they're 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 reaping what they're sowing. The left mm -hmm. is reaping what, what they're sowing by by doing this sort of thing and then, and trying to force it down the, the down the throats of innocent children. This is this is spiritual rape against mm -hmm. innocent young impressionable mm -hmm. minds. Spiritual mm -hmm. rape. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, man, it is spiritual mm -hmm. rape against this is Jesus said, if anyone dares to harm one hair on one of these little ones. It is better to him have never been born or to have a millstone right around his neck, his neck and drown. Yep. And thrown in the sea. Yes. Amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you. All right. All right. Mr. Wells. Hey, how you doing, Jamal? Hey. Um, this is nothing more than to me than what we're seeing throughout society. A mm -hmm. very small, minute segment percentage-wise mm -hmm. of society, mm -hmm. we are allowing them to drive this narrative. Mm -hmm. and, and that's our fault. Mm -hmm. That is absolutely your fault, my fault, everybody listening, everybody will hear this. It is our fault that we are not standing up and saying, no, this is not the morals, ethics, and values we want for our children. We are allowing this to happen. We're allowing it to happen in schools. We're allowing it to happen in the public square. We're allowing it to happen in Disney. I believe that parent was right for not allowing his kids, hey, his kid wanted to leave, absolutely, let's go. Mm -hmm. But it needs to be taken to the next step of, okay, what was, was it because of the lead gay character? Did it start out pushing that narrative right from the get-go? Mm -hmm. And how many parents actually are willing to say, not just, wait on their child to say this is wrong but no the parents say, no this is not what i want for my child it's time hey kids we're leaving mm -hmm. but dad we just sat down yeah i don't care i would walk out of that place in a heartbeat the problem is i would have already given him my money now that i mm -hmm. know because my kids have been asking to watch this movie yeah. i did not realize that it had an lgbtqia xyz elemental p plus k 
character in the lead. Yeah. Now that I know, oh, that movie's not going to be happening in my house. We're not going to be going. There's a reason why I canceled my Disney Plus account. Yeah. <laughs> There's a reason why we're we're not, you know, we're not supporting Disney financially mm-hmm. as best we can. But mm-hmm. I think what this drives more to, like I was saying, that small minority is able to drive a big massive corporation like Disney. Mm-hmm. What else are they driving in our society, in our country? And you can see it by what's going on with politics today, policies what's being pushed in companies, what's being pushed in the public square down Mm -hmm. our throats. And that's where we, especially as Christians, have to stand up and say, no, as the last lady just said, no, this is wrong. This is evil. This is against what we believe. Stop Mm -hmm. now. We're not putting up with it. We have to step up and fight back and say no. I agree. I agree. I agree. Um, Anyone else making a comment about this before I ask my second question? Okay, second question. Does everybody know what woke means, where it came from? You're woke to the all the liberal, left, ungodly, non-value-centered trash. But uh, that's not, I guess, the definition. <laughs> but anyway, go ahead. It, 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 it means enlightened, right? It, it means enlightened. But, of course, it's not, it's not, it's not a form of enlightenment. So... The whole strategy of um, marketing this ideology um, as a form of enlightenment, like what's up with that? What is up with that? Okay, they are masquerading as though a form of degradation is a form of progress, right? So woke, it's 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 a it's a marketing ploy, right? It's a marketing ploy. So it's a marketing ploy, right? So you're, you're, why does it work? Why does woke sound cool? Andy? Oh, oh I, I'll definitely go off on that one real quick. Uh-huh. I actually just watched, um, there's a, a YouTube guy who put out like 30 second, 30 second, 30 to 60 second short uh, descriptions of words in mm-hmm. popular society. Mm-hmm. And he went through and what they really mean versus what the alt left wants to push the meaning. Mm-hmm. And with woke, woke is nothing more than woke is supposed to be awakened, mm-hmm. awoken, right? You're mm-hmm. awake to what's going on. It was originally pushed by the alt left to as a narrative to, hey, you're awakened to the injustices. You're awakened to white supremacy. You're awakened to the plight of the LGBTQ. XYZ LMLP group. Oh, you're awakened to all the stuff they're pushing on them. And, and now you understand their plight and you need to you need to be supportive of them. So mm-hmm. to be woke is to be supportive of this crazy alt-left as that one as uh 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 you know the the ungod as Rick said, the ungodly world today. Mm-hmm. That's what woke is. Woke is that push to believe in that false narrative. Mm-hmm. And to believe in, you know, call it what it is, straight up evil of the world today. Mm-hmm. And they've done really, really good. The alt left has done a wonderful job <laughs> of, of capturing that narrative mm-hmm. from us, right? They have. The left has done. They are they are some of the best marketing folks I have ever 
the alt-left is really good. They're better at marketing than we are. Mm -hmm. I mean, how long has Christianity been around and how far behind are we on marketing compared to the alt-left? Because just like with the Disney thing, they are pushing that narrative and they have all these cute buzzwords that they can get and they're selling, you know, the shirts of I'm woke and all. You know, that they did a great job of marketing and we were behind the curve because we were trusting that society was, you know, we were still, the majority was still in charge of society, mm-hmm. but we gave that up. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, woke is nothing more than, it's nothing more than a selling point along with all these other terms and narratives. It, mm-hmm. It's a marketing and selling to get people. It's a cute little phrase that kids can say, oh, I'm woke. You know, and, yeah. and it sells to those teenagers because they think they're woke because they understand the plight of everybody else. Yeah. Well, yeah. sorry, I don't understand what it's like to be a black woman. Why? Mm-hmm. Because I'm not a black woman. <laughs> okay. Yeah, there's there. By the way, you're is only man and woman, but we'll get into that later. But yeah, I can't understand, and, right? <laughs> and you don't understand what it's like to be a white woman either. No, I don't. So, <laughs> so there. But that's the whole thing is this selling point that they're using to push with these buzzwords and they're selling it to our youth and our youth are buying it. And that's right. the so, scary thing. One thing that I would say that they're selling is that if you wear this word, okay, you will be more accepted because being enlightened is more acceptable than being ignorant, right? 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 Who wants to be ignorant, right? So they're suggesting that, hey, if you want people to think you're ignorant, go right ahead. But if you don't, then you got to be woke. And therefore, you got to agree with what we're, we're, we're laying down. You know, so uh, it's not true enlightenment. They set themselves up as sort of like the clearinghouse of what enlightenment is, right? And you buy into it, you go, oh, the authorities of what enlightenment is are evaluating me, or they're giving me a chance to evaluate myself, and I'm found wanting. I I don't know enough. Let me prove that I know enough by agreeing with those who seem to know. That's really a whole psychological ploy. In, in in its greater view, okay? Uh, if you really look at the whole psychological leverage behind the word woke, they are accusing you or they're getting you to accuse yourself or evaluate yourself, okay? But in order to like be maneuvered into adopting these, um, tenets, okay, what do you have to accept first? You have to accept that they're an authority. Why do people accept that they're an authority on what is enlightenment and what isn't? Why, why do people accept, accept that? Uh, I don't know. I don't accept it. But <laughs> yeah, but um, it, we're, we're talking about people being duped into accepting stuff that only 15 years ago we would have been laughing at. Okay. Probably because of the way they're, you know, educated in school or whatever, they're 
like perspective of that, you know, that there's not absolute values, then mm -hmm. I mean, that affects how you think, you know, we're maybe even we're used to, or I'm used to speak my first person to talking about values, or especially I've been in the unification movement a long time. But even before that, I probably thought there were basic values, but now that's been like thrown out. So if you come up in that very relativistic kind of thing, I guess, you know, that's the way you think. So, yeah, okay. Okay, if 3% of the population thinks that, you know, gay, gay lifestyle is a form of enlightenment, gay apologetics is a form of enlightenment, how is it that they're that, that they're affecting? I don't know. Even thirty percent of the population, and and getting 30 percent of the population or more agreeable to the to, to to their tenets. Why don't you just dismiss it outright? Then they're, they're making the claim that this is what enlightenment is. Why are they getting as as much agreement as they as they're getting? What's the trick behind the trick? Yes, indeed because right. they are the loudest voice mm -hmm. because the minority have that loud voice mm -hmm. and the loudest voices tend to win yeah if you're the one pushing at your narrative the loudest you mm -hmm. are going to win that narrative I that's agree. why we have the laws we have in place that's why we have the schools situation that we have right now that's mm -hmm. why our society is crumbling Again, mm -hmm. I'm going to go back to the religious aspect of it, is we mm -hmm. as Christians need to get up, get loud, and fight back and stop being meek, mild, and I don't want to offend anybody, everybody, let, let live and let live. No, mm -hmm. if it's wrong, it's wrong, and we need to be the loud majority, mm -hmm. not the loud minority, mm -hmm. or, or the quiet majority. The mm -hmm. silent majority does not win the argument. The people mm -hmm. being loud in that space do, and we have given up our, we've given it up to them. Mm -hmm. If we're allowing them to win the argument by being the loudest, we lose. Mm -hmm. I think also the delineation of a clear worldview. I mean, I would argue that although, you know, people talk about a biblical worldview, it's not completely clear. That's where I think unificationism, you know, obviously I'm biased in that direction, can bring a clear godly, God-centered worldview that mm -hmm, I think mm -hmm. that's really lacking. I would not call the Bible a worldview. Yes, it does engender a worldview, but I mean, it's, it's like a like a collection of letters and it's God's word, but I could be getting into a little controversial topic here, but I do think we need a very clear God-centered worldview. I think that's one reason I like the, you know, unification teaching a lot, but okay, mm -hmm. that's just my, my opinion, obviously. Yeah, I, so where both of those gel is in the idea that, you know, Jesus said, uh, I have many things to teach you, but you cannot bear them yet. So he talked in parables. And then so the interpretation of things like, uh, you know, spiritual visions and parables and, okay, there's a gray area because it's not crystal clear because Jesus said he was going to wait. Okay. So somebody is exploiting the lack of clarity because of the nature of parables, or somebody is exploiting a lack of clarity because of the nature of, uh, ancient scripture okay but if you are not clear and here it comes back to andy andy said it's our responsibility so in order to take up arms and be confident you have to 
you have to be clear. Okay, if so, there's a lack of clarity to be exploited by the, I'll say the 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 enemy or somebody who's up to no good. Um, yeah. So Richard's point: clarity and responsibility. Andy is saying responsibility. We're responsible. Richard's saying we need more clarity in order to. We can't just be a, a gang coming up against another gang, right? It can, I mean, it could descend into our gang versus their gang, but it'd be nice that we were crystal clear. And uh, that, that's what Richard's saying. So the point that uh, Andy got to, I totally agreed with. And he said, they're louder. But, you know, then I thought, well, what is being loud actually allow you to, 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 to to claim or, 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 yeah, to basically claim. What, what can you claim when you're, you're the loudest? And you're the loudest voice in the arena. What do you, what do you, what, ter what turf are you able to claim? And, and to me, you're able to claim this moment where you appear to be the majority. When you're louder, you appear to be the majority. So here you have 3% three, 3 who appear to be a majority voice because they're loud, okay? What is it about the majority that moves people? Okay, you, you, you're able to doctor up the appearance of a majority that doesn't exist, right? What is it about the majority that moves people such that things that they know are natural and true, they start to doubt them just because of the number of people that seem to be on a certain side. What is it about a majority that moves people? Mr. Marshall? Yeah, how did you know I was about to say something? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so he, he, here's what I think. I mean, so part of it is, that was the, the, the video you showed was, was, was good. Part of it is, I, and I cannot understand it, uh, that, that major media and corporations have bought into this woke woke stuff, um, and and yeah, it's a huge irresponsibility on their parts. But I guess they were targeted by activist groups pr pr promoting LGBTQIA plus minus whatever, <laughs> uh, um, and and said, oh okay, we've got to we've you know we've got to not look like we're we're oppressing these people. So, so the, there's that. So they make a big noise. I, I think they represent uh, a much smaller uh, proportion of the population than uh, they would like us to think. I also think, you know, the theme of, of today has been about, about family. And, and family is where the rubber meets the road. So if you look at Virginia and the election of Glenn Youngkin as, uh, as the governor in Virginia, yeah, uh, a, a lot of that was a parent backlash. We do yeah. not like what our kids are being taught in school. Yeah. And plus, we, the parents, we feel we're being sidelined by whoever's creating this, these, these, these curricula. And, yeah. and we don't like. So it's like, finally, this is affecting my kids in ways that I don't like. So yeah. now I'm going to stand up and do something about it. Yeah, I, I saw. Uh, so I think I think I think the backlash, not the backlash, the pushback has to come from 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 grassroots up. And and what happened Definitely. in Virginia is an example of that. Mm -hmm. um, 
I think it was also in one of the Virginia counties, I, I, I saw a, a, a school board uh, meeting where parents were, were challenging the school board about some of the materials, uh, young, what do you call it, young teen, uh, you know, fiction mm-hmm. um, that was uh, sexually explicit. Mm-hmm. And, and parents, they got themselves, A, they got themselves organized, a group of parents. Mm-hmm. And they stood up, and then one parent would read a couple of pages of this stuff. And then another mm-hmm. parent would get up and re- read the next part. And say, mm-hmm. this is what our kids are being taught. Mm-hmm. And, the, and most, many of the school board members were, were not at all aware of the actual details of what their kids were being given to, to, to read in, mm-hmm. in, in classes there. Uh, mm-hmm. So the parents woke up and put pressure on the school board. I'm not, I'm not sure what the end result was, but to me, that's, that's the beginning of, of a pushback. And I think, you know, woke culture, woke culture, if you, I mean, maybe it's a matter of what you choose to watch, but if, if, you, if you look around online, you find, I think, a lot more pushback against and, and even mockery of the idea of woke culture. Mm-hmm. You know, now, for many people, woke culture now means, oh, you have a closed mind, the opposite of woke. Woke means you have certain ideas fixed in your head and you're not going to listen to anything else outside of that. I see more, yeah. more, more people starting to think that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, and it's not only people of faith who, who promote this idea. I mean, God bless Bill Maher for uh, his, his continual uh, sniping at, at all these crazy woke ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's my two cents for now. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so... Why, what is it about a majority that makes people bend? I, I think it's a simple answer. Do you want a smaller pool of people that you can be in a love relationship or a larger pool of people? Do you want, do you want to be, do you want to see yourself as appealing to uh, a large group of people or appealing to only a small group of people? When you, when, when you have tough times, do you want to be able to call on a larger pool of people or a small pool of people? Yeah, a larger, that's yeah. right. Most people have, it, it stems from survival instincts that you want to make friends with the largest group of people possible, okay? There was a study uh, done and they asked, I can't remember how many people, but they asked, the question, what percentage of the population is homosexual? Now, this is only maybe four, about four years ago, okay? The homosexual population has never reached 3%. Facts, never reached 3%. But the average answer on the street for the question, what percentage of the population is homosexual? The average of all the answers was, catch this, 25%. The average of all the answers. That means you had astronomical, <laughs> you had people that had to say, I think half the people are gay. In order to average out all the answers to 25%, 
you had to have people that thought. <laughs> so does this affect your perception of what the majority of people think is cool? If you're not, okay, so th this, is, this is a fictitious majority. That's what I'm saying. They're interested in a fake majority. They're interested in making you think that more people think a certain way. And then you willingly fit into this fake majority. You understand that? <laughs> you, you will choose to leave. You will choose to leave reality because you think reality is not cool enough. Okay? You will, this is part of their strategy. Okay? And um, so last question. You guys ever uh, consider the effect and now you got Jordan Peterson um, talking about the power of narrative. Did you ever hear about this? The power of narrative on human psychology? Okay, so in other words, human beings are largely playing out a story. I am so-and-so's son. I am so-and-so's daughter. I am loved, I, right? There's this story that we are having give and take. Uh, heroic is X, Y, Z traits. I have those traits. I'm a character in the story that has those traits. So um, they're able to say, I am a loved person. Therefore, um, most people are okay with homosexuality. Therefore, for me to continue to be loved person in this story, I have to accept homeless. So they're playing with the issue of narrative in not a few people's minds. Almost everybody who consumes pop culture now are, are being psychologically screwed with at the level of narrative and who you are, your identity, right? Who you are in the narrative. And they get to set the tone of the narrative, okay? And there's no competition. So if the narrative is how well you accept the homosexual agenda, I mean, you could be evaluating yourself according to any story, okay? Any story. You have, you have total freedom to have give and take with any story, evaluate, evaluate and compare yourself to any character in any story. But when they say there's only that either you accept homosexual people or not, then people are now funneled into evaluating themselves. Their, their happiness and their, their sadness is, is funneled into evaluating yourself, whether you're mean to gay people or you are, you know, accepting and, 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 and deemed loving. Everybody wants to be loving. The problem is you accepted the narrative. Okay. So I'm 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 moving I'm moving fast here, but I uh, I want to get to my my next slide, uh, Mr. Marshall. Yes. Yes. Uh, so I, I just I think that's a very important point, uh, and I'm a big admirer of Jordan Peterson, uh, the mm -hmm. the the power of narrative. Um, mm -hmm. you, you can say that we human beings we are the the meaning seeking species. And often yeah. that meaning, the meaning gives us our purpose in life, and that meaning is expressed in stories, in narratives. Yes. 
And there are good stories and there are bad stories. And by that, I don't just mean enjoyable or not enjoyable. There are good stories that produce good consequences and bad stories that produce negative consequences if you follow them and live them out. Mm -hmm. And I think the difference is something that we, you know, right-thinking people, believers, have to make very clear. Yeah. Very clear where negative consequences are coming out if you believe a particular storyline. Yeah. I mean, one, one of the things about um, what you're saying about, uh, you know, acceptance of, uh, of, of homosexuality and homosexual people, often it's not enough to say, I tolerate, I'm, I'm tolerant towards homosexuals. They want you to accept. They want to impose on other people they want you to accept that their way of life is right and good and you should support it. So it's, it's a type of, uh, you know, mental uh, totalitarianism. It's not mm -hmm. good enough just to say, hey, uh, someone who's, who's homosexual, they're a citizen, they have their rights, I, ex I, I respect those rights. No, yeah. you have to say, I support you. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's an imposition. So it's not just they have their story. They want mm -hmm. to impose that story and make everybody else believe it, which mm -hmm. is what totalitarianism is about. Yeah. Basically, I'd like to make the claim that once you've accepted a narrative, you've accepted a lot of things that go along with it. All right. I got one more video I'd like to uh, invite everybody to watch. Uh, let's start a bit with this project narrative at Ohio State. I hadn't heard of that previously. And so tell me how you got interested in that and then maybe how you got interested in this in the psychology of stories more broadly. Well, thanks for being, uh, thanks for letting me uh, be here, Jordan. I'm thrilled too. Uh, Project Narrative is best known as a rogue outpost of literary studies. We do literary studies completely differently from everyone else in the modern academy. Basically, there was a split in the 1920s uh, that started with new criticism. The new criticism went on to develop what is essentially uh, the modern modern literary studies and new criticism is based on the same method that was used in the Middle Ages to interpret the Bible. That's the same method that's used really across the academy, even though new criticism has itself fallen out of favor. And in project narrative, we take a different approach. And in my case, it's a scientific approach. We're interested in studying how stories work in the brain. And the particular focus of my research is the belief that stories are the most powerful things that humans have ever invented. They're the most powerful tool we possess. And the simple reason for that um, is that the human brain is the most powerful thing on earth, for good or for bad. I mean, you look around the extraordinary achievements of our mind, the cultures we have created, the science we have created, the technology we have created, the art we have created, but also the fact that uh, we have the power in us to wipe out this planet, to destroy everything. And when you realize that stories have the power to change how our mind works, uh, to troubleshoot it, to make it more resilient, to make it more creative, to make it more scientific, to do all these things, you realize that when you couple the power of stories with the human brain, you throw open the doors to anything. So that's sort of my focus. And that's sort of what we do at Project Narrative is we study stories, how they work, 
scientifically what they do. And because of that, we're, we're um, considered somewhat heretical, somewhat maverick, and definitely on the fringes. Uh, although I should say I did get my PhD at Yale. So uh, all of us are, are reputable and, and well-respected scholars. So are, are you on the fringes in, among psychologists or among literary critics? No, not among psychologists. So, I mean, one of the extraordinary things about my career is that my work is backed by some of the biggest neuroscientists and psychologists in the world. Um, the doctors, nurses, social workers, big businesses, the U.S. Army, uh, special uh, operations community, the Air Force. I mean, there, there's an enormous amount of backing for my work among people who are pragmatic and empirically based and are interested in science. But um, the way that literary studies has become, I mean, I mean the, what has happened in literary studies is because everyone is using this method, which is really from the Middle Ages, the same thing is happening in literary studies now that happened in the Middle Ages. People read the same book, they come up with conflicting interpretations of them, those interpretations reflect their ideo ideologies, and then they argue about them. And so we just have these sort of endless uh, uh, combustions uh, that don't go anywhere, just like the Protestants and, and the Catholics in the Middle Ages. And so, you know, what my work basically says is, what if we just back out of that? And what if we just do the same thing that science has done? And we focus on the way that stories can empower us, uh, the, story, the way the stories can improve our human performance, because that's really why they were created by our ancestors. Our ancestors came to be in a tragic world where they realized their own frailty and insufficiency. They said, how do I cope with this life? How do I find strength uh, in the face of my own mortality? Uh, how do I lift myself up when I see so much frailty within myself? I see so much frailty in terms of my capacity for, for anger, uh, for hate, um, and also my ability to be damaged, my, my ability to suffer grief and trauma and loneliness. All right, so I wanna, I wanna invite you to view the entire uh, podcast there uh, between uh, Jordan and this young man. And um, I want to now tie this in to the biblical story of the fall of man, Adam and Eve, okay? And so I'll, I'm going to do that now. And then I'll then I'll be done knowing that I really didn't get into the nooks and crannies. I just do want to. I, I thought that since we're talking about family. And since it was a narrative difference, God's narrative competing with the serpent's narrative um, in the Garden of Eden. I don't think that we can really master uh, protecting our children if the one power that it seems the original enemy had and now currently our current, the people causing us uh, cultural problems today, they're using narrative. And for us to remain ignorant about narrative and not even fight in the same arena or have or be interested in competing narratives uh, or um, the, medi the medium that these narratives are, are played out or um, offered for review. If we're not even fighting in that area, I mean, 
how masterful are we being as parents and or children of God? So that's really my punchline, but I'll, I'll, I'll uh, show you this next slide. All right, so in unificationism, we are borrowing from the, the Bible story. Okay, so the original order of the cosmos would, according to unificationism, which borrows from the biblical story. So the original order is God, he makes Adam, Adam needs a helper, and the archangel um, was to help Adam, help Adam and Eve, and the archangel is the pinnacle of what we call all things, all things that are supposed to be placed under the dominion of Adam and, Adam and Eve. Okay. Originally, we were supposed to judge the angels. Okay. The problem is, okay, let's, let's go to the next slide. The phase, phase one of the fall was after the archangel realized that the advent of Adam and Eve um, demoted him. In his mind, he had lost his position being directly under God before Adam and Eve were created. Okay. All right, so he has what we call the emotional fall. And he says, I don't want to play this game anymore. Okay. Incidentally, he had no idea why God created Adam and Eve. He was just offended by it. Okay. That's a key word, offended. He was offended. Because when people get offended, they act some type of way. All right. He got offended. Okay. He left. And so he, be, he, he became lower than all things because he entered into a world that doesn't even count. He, he fancied a narrative narrative that doesn't actually exist in the mind of God. Okay? It was an escape. It was a place of delusion, delusion that made him feel better. Okay. Um, and it gave him comfort. It gave him comfort to think that things don't have to be the way that God set them up. Okay. Maybe if they were this alternate way in this alternate reality, uh, things would be better. And he had a lot of give and take with that. Problem is, he was there alone. So the second phase is he brought Eve under his dominion in that false narrative. Okay. False narrative goes like this. Um, I tell you that if you eat, you will not die. That's a that's an alternate narrative, okay? In fact, when you eat, you'll be like God. That means that God is withholding something from you. In this new narrative that Eve is chewing on by talking to this serpent, he's chewing on this alternate narrative, alternate narrative. In the alternate narrative, she is not the protected, beloved daughter. In the original narrative, she is cared for. She is being given guidance by her dad, who she trusts, okay? In the alternate narrative, she is a sucker. Swallow the narrative, you have to swallow the new identity within the, the, the narrative. So a lot of people, when we talk about who am I and am, am I loved and all this kind of stuff, it's just playing out of the competing narratives. Some people realize that it is the narrative that sets the tone. Context is decisive, okay? 
don't evaluate things. Don't get started evaluating things unless you figure out the overall narrative. If you're a person that doesn't realize the that there could be competing narratives and the whole concept of competing narratives, perhaps you're too spiritually immature to get out of a trap. That's why we try to protect children because they're not sophisticated enough to actually evaluate narratives. So they borrow from our grasp of the narrative if they, we have parent-child relationship. Well, she believed this narrative and she thought, oh, okay, I'm not gonna let God treat me like a sucker. If I'm gonna become like God by eating this fruit, then I'm not sucker. I am victorious over a deception. So why does Eve eat? Because she wants to be victorious over a deception. And she says, besides, this, um, the fruit looks good. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a sucker. I'm smart enough to do things that are good for me. Okay, um, change of narrative, changed her evaluation of the act of eating. And then instead of the act of eating being a bad thing and dangerous thing, it became a smart thing just by flipping the narrative, okay? Um, God, all things, fallen archangel, Eve, and then Adam. So after Adam ate, he was dominated by his wife, okay? And that is the world that we have now, okay? And for issues of time, I'll just conclude with this idea that since the first thing that evil did, it, evil accomplished in the world. When the world comes back through power of Christ and, and God's intervention and saints and sages uh, raising the level of awareness of the people of the world, since we're fighting back these forces because we, we're not liking the results of the fallen world. And we're taking on God's guidance more and more and more. At the end of history, if the children of God keep falling for the first trick, when will we ever stand as the co-creators and sovereign lords of creation in dominion of all the creation, including angels that have attitude problems. If we cannot withstand the advent or the introduction of false narratives, if we don't even recognize a false, false narrative. And, you know, here's what Eve should have done. When Lucifer said, did God tell you not to eat of the fruit uh, in the garden? First of all, that it, she, he is accessing a relationship that he's not a part of. That, is, that commandment came from God to his daughter and to his son. She could have said, you know, Lucifer, that's really not your business. Okay, she could have done that. She could have cut. She 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 could have cut the 
the delivery of his false narrative before it even came out of his mouth, okay? So a lot of people in this fight are giving away territory they, they don't have to. They don't have to give a hearing to nonsense. And they don't have to give a hearing to people that don't have authority or sovereignty in, in their situation. But a lot of us are doing that. A lot of us are accepting the burden of proof from all kinds of people. So we, we're, we're accepting the burden to prove that we love gay people. I'm like, how about me not even be concerned about gay people? Am I allowed to not have an opinion about it? Am I allowed to ignore it? No, you have the burden of proof to prove that you, you, you love the gay community. I'm like, who said that I have to take a side even? Okay, so a lot of us are giving away. So when Eve gave away um, the idea that uh, she was sovereign, when she gave that away, when she said anything other than, yeah, let me go ask God about this, you know, because maybe maybe you're the one that shouldn't be trusted. Now, when he goes, you will not die. He, she should have said, oh, that makes me feel really weird. Yeah, 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 but, but, but she goes, but nothing, but nothing. Let me go talk to God about this. Okay, she doesn't have to prove that she's smart or dumb. He doesn't qualify. And um, his accepting her, it's okay that it's meaningless to her. Okay, when you look at um, the same moment that came to Jesus, if you're the son of God, turn the stone to bread. Instead of Jesus taking on the burden to prove that he was capable of turning stone to bread, he disqualified the one asking him the question in the first place. He said, man does not live by bread alone, but the things come out of God's mouth. So which was a really cool way, a nice way, a slick way of telling the archangel, I don't care what comes out of your mouth. I'm not here to prove to you, like you confessing that I am who I am is of no concern to me. You, you can figure out who I am on, on your own time. I don't have to make you, I don't have to furnish proof for you. And I think this acceptance of narrative and then burden to prove the narrative one way or the other is where we're losing a lot of psychological strength. Okay, and I, I talked to um, I talked to Kelly one time about this, and um, you know, and it seemed like out of this world to say when somebody says, "Oh, I'm offended," the narrative is you are obligated to make sure that I'm not offended. Actually, that's not the only narrative, but a lot of people are trained to think that they are obligated to erase other people's feelings of offense. So one, you don't have to brush aside your beliefs because they offend other people, okay? But if you accept the burden of proof, now you're under some sort of a pressure to chase away your own beliefs because somebody is claiming that it's offensive. It's actually okay to say, oh, you're offended? I don't believe you. Or you're offended? 
What's that got to do with me? So um, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that we are in a fight with those who want to create narratives and we're not, we're just accepting narrative without examining narrative. It's happening in the back of our mind and more crafty people are, are, are manipulating our feelings in this way. And if we wanna have a strong family culture, I'm telling, I'm telling the group today, unless you are able to tell people, I don't believe you, unless you're able to tell people, prove that that is a qualified point of view, unless we are willing to push the burden of proof on other people, I don't see how our kids are going to um, be able to avoid talking to the devil. I think that's a good point, Jamal, because you have to teach the children early on, because understand that they're getting this indoctrination in kindergarten on, and now the government wants to take them from preschool on, and we need to reject that idea because we need them for the first several years to understand their rights to their own feelings, and and it's like apologetics for a preschooler or kindergartner. Parents need to say, hey, if somebody says, well, I'm offended over what you said or what you did, you know, your response should be, and let's practice that, should be, well, moving on with my day, you know, dismiss it, dismiss yeah. it. You don't have to care that someone else had their feelings hurt. You don't have to care that someone else was offended because you expressed how you thought or you felt or that you're indifferent to the gay um, lifestyle. I'm indifferent to it. It's really not something that, that uh, I wanna discuss with you. So I'm moving on. I don't have to say I love them. I don't have to say I hate them. I don't have to say any of the above, but that's a lot of narrative we have to give the children. The problem mm -hmm. is we teach them to respect adults and mm -hmm. to do what adults are telling them. The adults in the front of the room are usually mm -hmm. the biggest bullies in the room. Mm -hmm. So, and that's in, in kindergarten and they learn that you must respect your teacher and do what your teacher says. Well, what if your teacher is the one being the bully? How mm -hmm. do we teach our children to push back against that bully? And mm -hmm. I'm saying we have to start training parents mm -hmm. on what to train their children, how to train mm -hmm. their children. Now, Sally, come home and tell me what your teacher said to you that you and then parent, go talk to that teacher about that. But also it's a teachable moment for your child. So what we need to do is more training to parents mm -hmm. to push back on the classroom instruction. I agree with training. It's like the point from uh, Richard's presentation where you give them role play activity. Um, you act like the guy that wants to get in the girl's pants and, and give, the, give the student a chance to... For, to, to, to craft a rebuttal, to craft their own rebuttal that ends in vanquishing this, this temptation or, or, or changing, changing the subject. They, it, because kids need skill, kids need skill. And we're talking about narrative, you know? Don't you love me goes one of the, um, one of the, uh, the questions in the uh, role play exercises, don't you love me? And then the, 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 the girl says, I do, I, 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 I do love you. I respect you, and I expect you to respect me, or something like that. She changes, she changes the narrative, but it, it is a war of narratives, okay, 
And in order to wrestle yourself out of a narrative and the counterpart out of a narrative, yeah, you need training. You need role play trainings. Uh, uh, you need to go up against the snake. You know, he's got to, you got to take your kids in front of the snake and say, how are you going to beat this snake? Of course, in a way that the snake can't really bite. And so, so, yeah, go ahead, Andy. Well, there's something else here. And and I'm sorry, but uh, Richard, I know we're running a little bit late. And I actually, my wife's family, I got to go out to dinner with them. So I'll defer my time to Kelly after you're done, Jamal. Um, I'm sorry, Andy. Uh, oh, no, 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 it's fine. And, and no, it's a great conversation, but I kind of set up, I looked at the time schedules like, okay, yep, one o'clock, I'll be at one o'clock central. So yeah, um, no big deal. Uh, but I did want to say that one of the things you're, we're talking about setting up those role plays, and I absolutely agree with what you and, and, and what Kelly were both saying that we have to get our kids, but we also have to train our children that they have to recognize their rights, their freedoms when they are being infringed on. Mm -hmm. So um, one of the things that I I was just on a a conference call with, with one of the big legal groups fighting for parents' rights across the country. Mm -hmm. And I was talking with one of their lawyers said, you know, she started with her, her eight-year-old daughter. She's already teaching her eight-year-old daughter what compelled speech is mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Then, no if a teacher tells you that you have to say something that you don't believe mm-hmm. you need to say no i will not right and be sure you Excellent. come home and tell mom no you know and the example she used was calling a little boy by a girl's name yeah yeah and, and she you know that's happened in this 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 lawyer happened in her child classroom and she was like whoa hold on and, and that's why she did it w- w- with one of her older kids yeah and this was in a this was in a cr- supposed christian private school yeah a- a- but she was told that she had to call the child by oh well y- no johnny's now Susie, and mm-hmm. she was like no 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 and her daughter kept calling him Johnny and saying him and the teacher was getting on to her mm-hmm. and she said no you do not have the right to compel me to say something that yeah. I do not believe is true and yeah, that's it, it, what we need to teach our children what truth is yeah and we need to teach our children that they have the moral ethical right to stand up if it goes yeah. against their beliefs they have the right and the obligation to say, no, I am not going to call Johnny Susie. No, he is a he. I'm not going to call he, them, they, zeer, she, whatever. No, yeah. he's a he, and I'm going to call him he. Right. And, and that's that That's that fight that we have to make sure that we are educating our children. Yeah. And we are training our children mm-hmm. to be able to stand up and say, no, this is not right. No, I am not going to allow somebody else to force me to say something 
that I do not believe. That's compelled yeah. speech, which, by the way, is a violation yeah, well, they, of the First they, they, Since they frame that as not nice, then we have to be willing to be seen as not nice. Because if the only way that we can be, they'll give us a stamp of niceness is to agree, then we have to be not nice. Well, I think a lot of people, kids need encouragement that some forms of not nice is totally backed by 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 our parents. You know, well, I I spent a career in the military. Mm-hmm. I spent my career being not nice. Yeah. My job was to be not nice. Yeah. I, I didn't care if you didn't feel like like moving that equipment from point A to point B. You're going to move it, soldier. I don't care what your feelings and emotions are. Right. I don't care what you know. That's your job. And mm-hmm. most employers expect people to do. And the problem is we're raising a whole generation of kids, to your point, that it's all about somebody's feelings and emotions instead mm-hmm. of actually accomplishing what needs to be done. Because they're going to have a real sad wake-up call when they go to work for a business that they don't care about feelings or emotions. They yeah. care about whether or not you get X number of parts completed or whether or not you're moving, whatever you're doing, whatever your job is, you're doing your job, irregardless of your feelings or somebody else, you're doing what you were hired to do. Mm-hmm. Not, oh, I need to ha- I need to have a mental break because I don't like how the elections came out or, or I don't like what somebody said on Twitter. So I have to have some me time and, and, and I, I need to be left alone for 30 minutes. Well, no, not on the clock. You get like, most employers are going to say, okay, yeah, you can go find yourself a new job. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the problem is by teaching children and teaching this younger generation that their feelings and emotions trump everything else. They're being nice or not trumps everything else. No, that's not that's not the way the real world works. <laughs> you know, um, they they did that uh, about 2004. Uh, I don't call them Christians, uh, but Christians, certain Christians said that, uh, you know, they recast the whole Sodom and Gomorrah narrative. And they basically said that the crime of Sodom and Gomorrah was not homosexuality, but it was inhospitality. Okay, they should not have been banging on the door. That's why God was mad at them. <laughs> Listen, there's a there's a there's a there's a LGBTQ inclusive club in a couple of our school districts that they've decided to confront the Christian groups in our school district by handing out the Queen James Bible, which removes all reference to male or female removes anything about um, homosexuality being immoral or improper. It basically removes whole sections of the Bible are gone. It changes the complete narrative. And it's all about love and inclusiveness and that there is no judgment for doing anything wrong. But this is being pushed again by this very small, very minority group is pushing this trying to re now they're trying to and they've been successful there are supposed christian religions who have lesbian preachers and priests it's like 
you know, I, I, it just absolutely that that goes against the whole narrative of what I was, you know, I mean, when I was getting my theology degree, that was not in there. I, I mean, I'm sorry, we didn't get to pick and choose the parts of the Bible we like and throw the rest of it out, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, God's word's God's word. We don't get to throw out what we don't like. But that's what they're pushing for, but not just within religion. They're pushing it across society. We only keep what we like, and if it goes against what we don't like, we're just going to throw it away. We're going to ignore it, pretend it doesn't exist. And that's to your point that that small minority, that you were talking percentages um, in, I believe it was 2020 during the census, they actually... um, during the census, one of the one of the big media companies they did a they did a a, a, a thing about percentages of, of people who identify as LGBTQ, IA XYZ elemental people plus right <laughs> alphabet people yeah yeah the alphabet group so they did this big survey of how many people belong to that and mm. what they found is they found the number in totality across all age demographics it's actually increased to about 7% in 2020, approximately 7%. I think it was like 6.8, 6.9. But what they found was people between the the ages of 13 to 18, that Mm -hmm. number is close to a quarter percent. It's like 24% of the kids identifying. Now, are they truly LGBTQ? No. What's happening is that society is pushing, just like you played that video, right? Mm -hmm. Society is pushing. These kids think now it's cool to be part of this group. So you have kids like one one of my one of my daughter's friends. She one day she identified uh, she was identifying as first of all she was going to be goth and wear all black. Then she was a lesbian. Then she was transgender, and now she's wearing normal clothes and dating a boy again, and goes by her name, right? This was all in the span of like less than six months, right? So that's that society pushing that narrative that when you come out as being one thing or another, even though you're one of my daughters has absolutely no interest, she's not interested in boys right now thankful hallelujah um she's not interested in having a boyfriend she's she's got her friends and that's it but she's like hey dad she came home because she's got a short haircut kids were bothering her at school mm-hmm. and they and she was like hey dad can i just go ahead and tell people i'm a lesbian so they'll leave me alone <laughs> and i was okay. like no no yeah. no no yeah. no no yeah that, yeah but, but that's that whole inclusiveness. That's that whole wanting to belong. And we, got, like I said, I got to give it to this alt-left nut jobs that they have made it sound really cool. Really, it's a hip, it's an end thing. It's a cool thing to be part of these groups. And it's convinced kids that they are part of something when they're not. And that goes back to the parental influence at home. Mm-hmm. That goes back to our parents actually being parents. I mm-hmm. think that's one of the biggest problems we're having in society today. I mean, I've got a, I, I looked up one study from 50 years ago, 
less than 8% of the, I'm going to go, I did it by race. Um, 8% of the black families 50 years ago had single mother households. Yeah, now it's like 70. It's almost 80%. Yeah. We went the, from the, we went from the, less than ten percent to almost eighty percent. Why? Yeah. Because society has made it acceptable, and it's normalized in society. If we allow this LGBTQ alphabet group to become normalized to young children, as mm. to what as as to what Kelly was saying, especially when you get the real young kids, it's mm. very easy to convince a kindergartner, an elementary school kid, if they're growing up that this is normal, mm-hmm. this is, it's a normal thing to be transgender. Yeah. If we convince them that that's, that's totally normal and cool and push it as being the normal thing. Then, then kids want to, then kids want to be normal. Yeah. yeah. Kids, kids want to be normal but you know like uh, that, that these kids are si- uh, suing the doctors for cutting off their breasts now yes it, i know it, I, I know the lady you know i mean like re- reality more. reality is a good judge yeah at some point you know well, and, and um, gonna, it's gonna come to blowback anyway i appreciate being here i gotta go thanks guys All right. okay andy sorry about that um we'll see you again well thank you so much jamal Wow, a lot of things that I need to uh, work on and think about as far as the narrative, you know, that's a good point. Accepting false narratives, you know, that's a that's an, uh, really good, something I hadn't really thought about. So, or thought about enough. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, the whole, we have, we have, there's a lot of good messages. And so if you don't, can't deliver the narrative, um, you're not in. The, you're not in the real war. You know the whole. That's why uh, Alex Jones. He calls it info wars, right? Info mm-hmm. wars, because it's really um, who gets to animate their narrative. Because it's an animating contest. It's a contest for putting pu- putting your narrative out there in front of the other guys. You know, and, mm-hmm. and we're not even engaging at at a high level. You know, we don't have movies. We don't want interested in writing songs that vanquish, you know, our bad guys that vanquish our confusion, the confusion that's that that's that's that uh, we're pointing out as a as a grave form of confusion. We're not even engaging. We could talk about we could talk about stacks. We could actually talk about proven right and wrong. Uh, I'm past that because, um, Mr. Marshall. He, he was talking about um, the single parent rate and the effect on kids. We've known that from the ni- from 1999. Another, what I'm saying is truth doesn't matter at a certain point. It's, and narrative is more powerful than truth. Because we knew that whenever a community breaches 30% single parent homes, mm-hmm. it becomes an inner city. We've known that since 1999. Whenever a, 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 a community reaches 30%, the national average is around 30% right now. What it means is you don't have enough fathering to, to, to temper the young testosterone. Okay, so they find each other, they, te- they teach each other some bad form of masculinity, and then businesses flee those neighborhoods and it becomes an inner city. We've known that. So we don't have really a truth problem. 
if 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 narrative says we can't accept this truth because this truth is racist or this truth then we don't care about truth we care about narrative you know so i'm saying i'm saying narrative cannot be ignored because narrative tells you whether or not you're going to accept truth or not okay amen all right thank thank you jamal thank you mr johnson Another very stimulating presentation, and I hope a lot of people will watch the recording too.